Hi, Moonies. Welcome to the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast. I'm your host, Victoria L. Johnson, and I'm here with Margaret Owen, the author of The Merciful Crow and the upcoming sequel, Faithless Hawk. I'm super excited to talk to her. Hey, Margaret. How are you doing? <laughs> Hello. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to the Sailor Moon Fan Club podcast. Thank you for having me. I am very excited. <laughs> yes. Yes. As I said earlier, you are totally in the right place. <laughs> you are excited. Oh, good memories. Yeah. So speaking of memories, so the first question I usually ask everyone is, um, what's your first memory of watching Sailor Moon? Okay, so I definitely, I don't know if I have like a specific memory, but um, I can tell you like exact. I know exactly how I saw it, like how mm-hmm. I saw my first episode, which would be in the basement at my dad's house um, on the couch. It might have been, uh, I don't think I was recording, I definitely wasn't recording Sailor Moon at the time, but um it might have just been on Toonami, and I think this was. Hmm. I think this was pre Card Capture Sakura mm-hmm. and uh, post Pokemon. That's about in the time of the relative <laughs> okay. dating. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no that that would be about when I started, and uh, that was that was uh, it was usually just watching it down in the basement, uh, usually on weekends. At that point, uh, <laughs> I do remember a couple years before when it first started airing and there were the advertisements for the Sailor Moon dolls. And I mm. think they were like the ones that flew into the air. Oh, I do remember those. And at that time I was very, um, I was very perplexed at, at the entire, <laughs> the, the entire thing. But then later on I discovered what a magical world it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I don't think I remember that. I remember like, I think Barbie or someone had a doll that flew into the air. Yeah. That was like very fun, but also dangerous. Like looking back. <laughs> right. Like one of my favorite gifts of all time is the, uh, the doll that gets launched on what's clearly Christmas day. And it just spins right into the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I have seen that before. Right. And you just yeah. see the entire family's face going from like, Oh yeah. To, oh no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it just went horribly wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That was, I guess, 2020 the GIF. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's a 50-50 toy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you said, were you recording Sailor Moon? Did you start recording it on VHS later? Uh, yes, so basically, my mom did not have cable. My dad did. And mm-hmm. so, or and I was at my dad's on the weekends. So what I would do is set up a tape recorder and a, a blank VHS to record right. that we- entire week's worth of Sailor Moon episodes. Except for I always like missed the last 10 minutes of the last one. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and uh, then I w- once I got over to my dad's house, I would just sit down and watch them all. Nice. That is so cool. I used to, <laughs> I recorded some too. That's why it kind of stuck out to me. And I, I haven't watched them back in a while, but it's so cool when you have like recordings because you also get the commercials at the time. Right. Which is always just like <laughs> really interesting mm-hmm. dynamics. You forget. Oh, man. The, yeah. The, the commercials at the time were just absolutely wild. <laughs> yeah. Especially because it was Toonami. So they had they had no idea what demographic to shoot for. Really. Right. That's true, too. <laughs> they yeah. were just heaving all kinds of spaghetti at that wall. Yeah. It's like adults, children. I don't know. <laughs> right. Who's watching? <laughs> it's a mystery. Let's see right. what happens. Let's just yeah. empty out the whole bag and see what happens. <laughs> see what sticks. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh. So did you have a favorite um, episode? Uh, yes. So I think um, one of the most formative 
things for me, uh, I think as a storyteller, like the thing that literally cemented my love of this particular trope of like the secret identities trope was mm-hmm. the episode in the first season where, uh, you know, Tuxedo Mask and Sailor Moon learn each other's secret identities. Yes. And I remember, right at the time, I was just like, oh, that's so <laughs> beautiful. And I also was just like, oh, but they've hated each other. Mm-hmm. But they also like each other. And thus, my love of the enemies to lovers trope was also born. Right. Yeah, I think now that you're saying that, I think that's where my love for that trope probably began to. <laughs> right? Like, and I, I think after that, I was always really interested in this idea of these different faces that you show to people and when they don't mm. when people don't connect that you know the way those intersect or the way that you know these are the two same people uh and you interact with them or you know it's, it's like this is the same person even though i interact very differently with each facet of them i love exploring that and i, I i've always wanted to write something where it's like oh well they're enemies you know in in, in their secret identities and their friends perhaps more in others mm. you know in their real identity or something like that yeah. i uh, always love that yeah yeah yeah. you definitely have a little bit of that not mm. maybe not um you know secret identities in your book but you know we'll get to that later but, um, <laughs> right yeah yeah, I love that. Like when they're in the elevator and they're like both like, oh, oh my God. I, have tra- I have to transform, but I can't transform because I can't let them know. It's, right? it's so good. Oh, yeah. And it was just, it was drawn out to the perfect amount of tension where you're just like, no, but you have to, but you can't, but you have to. Right. And like, it, it, it makes it even worse that you know that he's hurt, especially right. in retrospect, probably one of the greatest bits of physical comedy to ever occur in a show is when Usagi just walk, walks up behind him and slaps on the back, slaps him on the back, and he's just like, oh, fuck! Yeah. I'm dying! Wait, <laughs> he died. Yeah. Right. Oh, so good. And then, nothing says classic anime like, you know, her having this whole angry conversation with him, and then looking down and be like, well, my hand's covered in blood. This is a problem. Yeah. Where did that Whoops. come from? <laughs> oh, yeah. Great stuff. Great right. stuff. <laughs> oh, um, and then, you know, you should ask, like, is there, was there a, um, do you have a favorite Sailor Scouts last century? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think, uh, like, for me, the, the unquestionable favorite was always Sailor Jupiter. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I think when I, when I was first watching the show, I was definitely very much into the kind of stories where it was like, hey, girls are also allowed to be fighters and they're allowed to be warriors and they're allowed to be strong because uh, that, that was a little bit, little bit more of a rarity back in the early 2000s. And right. I really, I, I, I really like, I liked that aspect of her, but I also liked that they were like, and she has she does this completely relatable thing of having a series of crushes on unattainable men and you know and yes. she likes baking and she likes cooking and, and she takes care of plants and she's actually like you know really good at that but she's also a bit of a mess when it comes to romance and i was mm-hmm. like well i didn't expect to be called out so thoroughly by an anime character and <laughs> right. yet here we are at age 12 right <laughs> yeah and i think it was one thing that um kind of highlighted the one of the issues for me with a lot of American media was that I remember things like seeing Sailor Jupiter on the screen and being like, this is the first time I've seen a girl who is tall and it's not a joke. Mm -hmm. And she has curly hair and that's not like 
straightened out at any point in time. And I, I, I realize I am pre- preaching to the, I'm not even like preaching to the choir. I am the choir member preaching to the priestess here <laughs> about representation. But yeah. I think that you know, that speaks yeah. to the sad state of, mm-hmm. of media representation at the time, that even that bit of deviation from, you know, the short, thin, straight haired, blonde girl uh, was just a revelation for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Jupiter comes up a lot for that. Like, she's really a great a example of, like, being a multifaceted character, especially a woman, you know, just for right. her to be like, I can fight and I can bake you like an amazing cake. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I can do both things. I can chew gum and walk at the same time. Yeah. And, like, and one does not diminish the other. Like, right. I feel like a lot of the attempts at kind of branching out with a lot of media were these kind of half-hearted things of like, oh, well, we've got a tomboy girl and she doesn't have to wear skirts. And, right. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, and she punches things. And it's like, yeah, her head is backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, well, she's basically just a boy, but, she, you know, yeah. but we've given her a ponytail. Right. Like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> Yeah. I, that, that that raises a lot of a lot of troubling questions right yeah it's like they yeah it's just yeah ridiculous right <laughs> yeah but that's also a reason why i love your book um because <laughs> we have fee who is also like this kind of multifaceted character who's like really strong and really you know kind of you know knows what she wants but also like isn't afraid to kind of be a little bit at least internally, like, sentimental and, you know, mm-hmm. she, like, owns her feelings. Um, <laughs> yeah, but how did you come up with the idea for the Merciful Crow? I, um, so the the first real sort of seed for that came around in, I think, around October 2014, where um, I came across an article on the lives of medieval executioners, and I thought that the the sort of rules that they had to live by were very interesting on a, both on a a sort of like almost ritualistic level and also on a societal level with the implications. Um, And the other sort of ideas that I'd had kind of floating around in the primordial soup of, of, you know, story ideas uh, mm-hmm. kind of clung to that and were like, well, what if we had a whole thing with plague doctors and, mm-hmm. you know, and magic and, and caste systems and stuff. Uh, but right. what really drew me to that was this idea that you have this role that is necessary to society, but also demeaned by, by society, partially because what it deals with is kind of unsavory. It's, it's un it's, it's not seen as clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's also something that's very frightening. Um, but also because um, the the uh, I think the the, th- the thing that really sort of stuck out to me uh, for execution is that was that the idea was that you needed them to be this kind of you know you have a carrot and a stick in the society and you have you know if you don't have this idea of you know of a capital punishment the the prevailing thought was you know if you don't have capital punishment or the threat of that people aren't going to exist in a, in a society. Like they need that threat to exist in a, in a, or in a peaceful way that is not harmful to others, or at least some people do. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with that, but <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I was really intrigued with this idea that you have this, even though you had, or even though they needed that, or the, this, this role was perceived as necessary, 
because it was also perceived as unclean, because killing was inherently sinful, it was uh, kind of exiled. Like they were forced to live outside the communities that they served and the communities that depended on their service. Right. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating because, like, <laughs> like you just said, like they're really dependent on the crows mm-hmm. in the book to you know so the plague doesn't spread but at the same time they're like we're gonna treat you like crap <laughs> mm-hmm. how does that um also this book hit kind of close to home <laughs> did not expect that i i did not expect it to be not quite... a part of your rollout plan right exactly yeah. i was like well there's a viral marketing joke here but the, the the fruit is hanging too low i cannot do it yeah <laughs> right but uh yeah you know i I actually, you know, I've gotten a couple versions of that, um, you know, mm-hmm. question your comments to that. And, you know, my, my sort of standard line is that I, the, having a timely book is a blessing and a curse. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, you know, nobody wants it to be uh, timely. Nobody is, especially the bad shit that happens. In the book. <laughs> right. Nobody wants that to be timely. <laughs> but um, part of why, because the, the sequel, The Faithless Hawk, uh, also deals with like if if the merciful crow clo- cro- if the merciful crow was close to home, a faithless hawk is basically standing outside your window tapping on it, being like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's like part it's set against the backdrop of this plague outbreak that is first downplayed and then weaponized and politicized by a bigoted, illegitimate tyrannical government and wow right <laughs> yeah and, you know through basically january through april i was just sitting there like going i wrote this in august i don't i didn't did i did i just manifest this is that what happened but the reality is that the the, the mechanics of that kind of bigotry and and mm-hmm. abuse of power are just so basic that is just not that hard to predict, you know? That is sadly true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is sadly true. <laughs> but yeah, um, and then can you just give like a little bit, I just realized maybe like a little bit of context what it could, the book is about. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so The Merciful Crow is about uh, about a girl named Phi, who is from, although people say Fee, Phi, it's fine. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, the, uh, so she is from the Crow cast. Um, which I should actually back up and explain. <laughs> she lives in a country where everybody is born into one of 12 different castes. They're all named after birds. Uh, and the crow caste is at the bottom. They are the only caste in the country that are immune to a plague called the Sinner's Plague, which strikes every other caste. And their job is to deliver basically mercy killings and burial rites for people who are infected by the plague. Uh, because the plague is lethal, there is no known cure. And um, that that's all, you know, a little bit of background flavor uh, for the real plot, which is that the story opens with her family being called to the royal palace for the first time in, I think, 400 years, 500, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they are being called to collect the body of the crown prince, who is the heir to the throne. And once they get the crown prince, and it turns out his bodyguard out of there... Uh, both the boys are actually alive and it turns out they've used her family to try to smuggle themselves, to fake their deaths and smuggle themselves out of the palace because the um, the king's current wife is attempting to 
uh, stage a coup and has basically promised that the crows will be actually wiped out from the kingdom in exchange for political power from an organization that has kind of basically acted as a hate group against the crows for generations. Uh, And so the crown prince and Fi make a deal that her family will help him reach his allies and uh, reestablish, you know, sort of establish, no, 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 we're not going to do this. (laughs) I am in power. Um, And if they do that, um, initially the the prince is like, well, you should just do that for me so you don't all die. And Fi (laughs) comes back with, "Ah, (laughs) not going to work for free. That's cute. (laughs) And she makes him swear an oath that cannot be broken um that he once on the once he is on the throne he will actually take concrete action to address the persecution that her people have faced for generations um and then the what follows is a road trip from hell across the country <laughs> as virtually everything that can yeah. go wrong does <laughs> Yeah, I saw um, a lot of comparisons, like Mad Max Fury. One hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> that was. I was literally. So that came. I was sort of coalescing this idea in late twenty fourteen, and then um, I was at a point in my life where I was, you know, would write kind of was between different projects and kind of infrequently. So I had only made it to like the third, fourth chapter ish uh, when Mad Max came out, and. Instantly, I saw that and I was like, this is how I need to plot my book. This is how I need to plot that. It's just basically one extremely long chase scene. Right. Yeah. That's a great way of going about it because <laughs> it's exciting and it kind of keeps it going and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of throws things at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing. I mean, you kind of, you know, showed it, but like the world building is so great in this series. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> So first question is like, how did you get so good at world building? And, and what's your advice for other writers who like are building their own worlds right now? Um, I, but first of all, thank you very much. You're welcome. Very flattered. Um, I would say, so I am just a huge nerd on many fronts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a linguistics nerd. I am a like, I, I love ancient civilizations. I love, you know, learning about history. I love, uh, I, I am one of those people who can just fall down a Wikipedia spiral and emerge a week later and be like, I have seven <laughs> books to write. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, you know, and I love doing, I love doing research, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. looking up weird things. And so, um, that really helps, but I think, one thing that has been kind of uh one thing that was really critical to that this is going to sound very strange but um i didn't take a romance language when i was in high school i took japanese because Mm -hmm. i'm a weeb (laughs) and uh (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and one thing that really helped inform how i go about world building was realizing how much uh how when you take a language that is not a romance language you start learning about all these things that you sort of took for granted were just the way things were and mm. you start challenging yourself to uh, or, well, <laughs> i guess um to think about you know a, a different culture very holistically um and be like okay well it's not just you know okay we have breakfast lunch and dinner it's 
we we have you know we've changed how we even talk about these or how we even approach uh, the concept of a meal um you know or stuff like that and uh <laughs> my favorite thing is like to to develop a society you first have to ask where the trash goes <laughs> because <laughs> like how how do they handle trash do they burn right. it like where do throw they it out it? the window right exactly <laughs> yeah what, what's the sewage system like what's the development mm-hmm. of that like and how does that impact things like sanitation and public health uh and so you know uh not to get on too much of a of a of a ramble here but um no you're good <laughs> thank you um <laughs> the the important i think Studying Japanese, because my, my Japanese education was both language and, and cultural, like everything mm-hmm. was given the context of the culture that, that that was necessary to actually understand what we were saying. <laughs> um, that really helped me sort of um, de-westernize my understanding of culture, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, it, it helped me on like decenter you know the typical americanized westernized kind of ideas of of how a society functions and uh that uh that was really valuable to my to, to the processes or in, and the things that i i think about when i when i approach world building because it means that i don't default to like well, okay, well, we've got this feudal system that operates like there's the serfs and the peasants and the lords, you know, all right, like, <laughs> let's actually break that down. How does that work? What What is the military system like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the short answer is be a big nerd and research everything, right. <laughs> even things that you don't really, even things you don't think about, like <laughs> money. <laughs> what is your money made of <laughs> and why? <laughs> How do they care? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point yeah like little things like that like mm-hmm. were really major things right and yeah you know one of the complaints you see with a lot of fantasy is that it's set in these kind of generic european mm-hmm. um countries or like it's not it's like generic european because it's like everybody's wearing these nice dresses and mm-hmm. we all go galloping in the house you know among, across the place <laughs> yeah. hunting and you know through the forest and it's like they don't have to be generic you just have to engage with what a, a fully imagined and realized culture looks like yeah that's one of the reasons i'm really grateful that i got into anime so right. early is that it really opened my eyes or my thoughts i think mm-hmm. you know just a culture outside of the united states yes i'm like how much I, I feel like an entire generation of teenagers got a secondary cultural education <laughs> partially yeah. from things like Sailor Moon and partially from mm-hmm. stories like Inuyasha. Like, right, yeah. <laughs> who who here learned about feudal Japan? Miko <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Takahashi. Like <laughs> so true. Yeah, I've learned so much about like um historical like Korean culture mm-hmm. just through K dramas like watching. Oh, yeah. I need to wa- so my biggest hang up right now is that I can't watch stuff with subtitles, not because mm. I can't read them, but because I would I try to watch TV while I'm drawing, right? And I can't look at the screen. It's hard, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I oh, I want to get into so many K dramas. They look so good. They are really, really good. There is one I don't remember the name, but I'll try and send it to you, or maybe mm-hmm. I'll remember it later. That um on Netflix where they actually dubbed it. Ooh, which is um. And interesting because I haven't seen a dubbed K drama before, yeah. so um, I, I haven't watched it. And my friend's been telling me about it, and we're like the K, we're K drama like 
buddies. You know? Of course, of like course. Recommending stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I actually stopped watching for a while because of that. Because I'm like, I need stuff. Like I can't. Right. Like I'm, I'm not in college anymore. I can't like sit down and watch ten hours of a show. <laughs> and, like, do nothing else. <laughs> right. With my life. So. Um, yeah. So Relatable. like for the past few years, I've been kind of like away from them. You know, not mm-hmm. as much. But recently, I'm getting back more into them because. Um, I've been trying to like step away from my computer and like focus on one thing. Um, right. <laughs> I'm not on Netflix now, so you know I can just like I'll watch. They come out like two a week, so I'm like, all right, I can watch two episodes and then move on oh. to something else. Yeah, <laughs> that gives yeah. me a great idea. I could actually do it while I'm like supposed to be exercising. Yeah, that's there true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just hop on the bike and throw on Netflix and actually read the subtitles for once. Ha-ha! I've defeated Aha. it. <laughs> monster is slayed right <laughs> so um you mentioned Inuyasha though are there mm-hmm. any other anime that you like oh my god um so I definitely was a huge nerd for Cardcaptor Sakura mm-hmm. um I am currently really still always loving My Hero Academia um oh yeah right so there's so many layers to that story that I think are like the I think Okay, so I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a second. Do it. <laughs> one of this my is fa- the tangent podcast. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. One of my favorite things about that story is that it engages with this idea. It, it challenges um, this very kind of Western idea of the one super, like the one superpower among superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. And like the, the one big strongest guy in the world. Uh, and what you know it challenges it by saying what happens when there isn't just a successor readily available and what it you know what does it take to become that and is that even the best system and Mm -hmm. i love that they do that in the way that they've done in that everything about all might is literally you know his his name is literally all might which is just right (laughs) subtle as a subtle (laughs) as a brick in a handbag yeah (laughs) but um you know he's drawn like i think i've seen um uh oh why am i blanking on his name oh horikoshi yeah yeah kohei Mm -hmm. horikoshi uh yeah i i've seen him talk about how or i feel like i've seen it in like some of the little notes about how they go through so much ink drawing or drawing the the full form of all might because it's almost supposed to be like very evocative of western comics Mm -hmm. and um it feels like the story is building towards this point of um, this this idea that it's not just enough to have one hypothetically benevolent superpower among superpowers that is the symbol of peace. It's something that everybody as a society has to engage in, or at least mm-hmm. a plurality of people have to engage in. And I love that for so many reasons. <laughs> like I love that in the context of the 2016 election. I love that in the context of what that means for, you know, uh, in terms of how we idolize people. Uh, I love what that means in terms of like civic engagement. Uh, and I also just really enjoy that it's a, a show where the hero is a crybaby who was selected mm. because he did a good thing. And there's not like this kind of, oh, well, maybe Deku's got a dark side kind of story it's not like oh well what if all what if this power fell into the wrong hands and he's got to fight his bad side it's he's he's a good kid and he's trying to do the best thing in a complicated world and while he struggles with that it's not like um he doesn't struggle with it because 
of his own gray morality. He struggles with it because these are complex issues. And even though he's trying his best, sometimes that's not enough. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all the, I think all the, the characters are also just so super fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. And that really helps the story in a way that doesn't make it feel crowded, but more complete. But yeah, so overall, yeah. I just love, I, I love My Hero Academia so much. I think yeah. it's a really good story for this point in time. And I love mm-hmm. what it does. It would have, I love the commentary on the superhero culture as well. Yeah, it's so wholesome. And I love like the concept of like All Might having, I think, one for all. Mm-hmm. And then his villain having like all for one Yes, power. And just like that, like, Duality. Just, like switch. Yeah, it's such a good idea. Right? I don't know if you've ever heard of the um, webtoon called Unordinary. I have not. Okay, so it's I was I was kind of reading it at the same time I was watching My Hero Academia, and there's it's it has also like a really interesting concept, like like same thing with like mm-hmm. a, a school. They don't teach um you know how to be a hero, but it's just like everyone has um powers. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing like kind of like with quirks, right? Um, <laughs> but you know theirs is based on a ideology that um the more powerful you are like you know mm-hmm. as far as like powers the more like higher up in society you mm-hmm. are like you can like like you can like bully a person who's young who's like um mm-hmm. you know less powerful than you because you know you're more powerful and like that's right. just how it is it's a hierarchy um, and then so like there's actually a book um that's been banned that teaches that like you know if you have power actually you should be like helping people you know you should be like mm-hmm. a hero and it's been like a banned book you know and it's like no this is like a, a controversial idea you know they don't want anyone reading it because mm-hmm. it's just going to uproot like the whole society that right. they have set up um and it kind of it's kind of cool it's kind of ventured off from this but like some of the kids like start to become heroes but it's kind of uh, switched off from that for a little bit but it's interesting um, yeah just to see like their ideology change from like oh like i'm more powerful so of course like I'm at the top of the food chain, but exactly to be like, oh, maybe because I'm more powerful, I have more responsibility to like people (laughs) who are weaker than me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love when stories engage with this idea of, uh, you can probably tell this from the Merciful Crow. I love the idea (laughs) of people actually engaging with the, what, with what a, a, a supernatural ability would societally do. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I love the idea or, you know, I love the, I love it when we look at, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the time it feels like the narrative of, oh, I have a superpower becomes, I must hide it and Mm -hmm. people will hurt me for it if I have it, either because they're scared of me or because they're, um, you know, they want it or they want to take it from me. And I think there's some validity in that, but also um, I think the, when you have something where uh, it's an ability that some people have and some people don't, the reality is that if some people have, we're, we're pretty familiar with what happens when some people have a power <laughs> and other people don't. Like, that's just privilege, my yeah. dudes. <laughs> yeah. That's just straight up privilege. And like, you know, that was mm-hmm. kind of what I wanted to engage with, with the Merciful Crow was this idea that if people are bored with certain abilities they are going to do like they're going to do this Hogwarts sorting themselves shit. And Mm -hmm. then they're also going to impose a hierarchy on it, which is why the most destructive of the powers is the royalty. Like it belongs to royalty is because they have kind of weaponized that to put themselves in the highest position of power. 
but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I definitely love the uh, as as a world building nerd, I love the the engagement with what does a, a meta ability uh, impact or how does it impact society? What what happens next? <laughs> Hey Moonies, here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that Sailor Moon creator Naoko Takayuchi is married to Yu Hakusho and Hunter x Hunter creator Yoshihiro Togashi? I know, power couple goals. If you're a fan of 90s anime like me, head over to Namiware to get some of the best anime-inspired streetwear from Akira, Slam Dunk, and you guessed it, Yu Hakusho. They also show love to newer shows like My Hero Academia and Demon Slayer, but they sell out quick, so head over to Namiware.com to get some of the best anime-inspired streetwear out there. News code Moody's Club to get 20% off. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, just to, I guess, switch it back, switch it to something a little funner. Than, um, <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> Sli- slightly, slightly grimdark. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, if, uh, by <laughs> Jasimir, I know I'm like, thank you, um, and Tavis. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Three for three. Bravo. It's <laughs> the problem with reading books. Right. Instead of like hearing it, you just like it's all in your head. <laughs> it's um, on me for not having a um, a pronunciation guide too. I should really get on that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but that would, cool. re- would require updating my website. And boy, that that's just a parched desert out there. So maybe. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Exactly. Much. Yeah. Someday. But, um, yeah. Um, and Barf. I'll throw Barf in. Um, <laughs> who would you think their favorite Sailor Scout would be? Oh yeah. Um, I think Fi's favorite would hmm, almost positive that it would either be Sailor Uranus or mm. Sailor Mars. Like those, those mm-hmm. two just kind of stone cold badasses. Um, Tavin would definitely get along with Sailor Venus the best, like just unquestionably. Mm. Uh, and. <laughs> I love that it's unquestionably. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, Jasper would be like, he would get along well with Mercury and Neptune because they're both kind mm. of like these. He's, the secret thing about Jasper is that he's just a big book nerd. And mm. he's, he, which has, you know, some, some issues because the, you know, the academic, <laughs> the academic status or the academic, <laughs> the, the reading material he's been provided <laughs> for most of his life has uh, a certain slant to it. But, um, he would definitely get along well with, um, I think, Mercury because she's just such a hard worker and like also just brilliant, and Neptune because she's also just very much like this elegant, like elegant but also absolutely devastating human being. <laughs> That's great, and I'll just throw that Jasmine is the prince, yes, <laughs> and Tavin is the is like bodyguard slash like double, mm-hmm. like yeah. they're they're physically similar enough mm-hmm. to the point where like from a distance Tavin can take his place and then they basically mm-hmm. use an illusion to sort of complete the deal or seal the deal as it were uh when right. he has to do it like up or when when he has to do up close magic as it were <laughs> yeah and um and bark the cat oh she would 100 <laughs> be hanging out with luna and artemis <laughs> there would be no nice yeah. like unless you're feeding me well okay Second yeah. <laughs> amendment, she would also be down for Sailor Jupiter because Sailor mm-hmm. Jupiter would feed her things. Yeah, I've uh, I've seen that Barf get some uh, some more cat friends too. Yeah, Baseless Hawk. So. <laughs> I just decided that I'm going to put all of my friends' cats in my books. Like that's just how it's going to go. <laughs> Is that how it's going? That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just... There's um 
there's an orange cat whose name is alternatively Mango or Jasifer. Mm-hmm. It's a subject of debate, uh, and that is my friend's cat, Torment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a black and white cat uh, that is also same friend's cat, uh, Guinness. And uh, there's a tortoise shell that is my friend, my friend Caitlin's cat, Pandora. Uh, Barf is basically my cat, Boo. <laughs> a, I, I just I just went all in like I'm just yeah. I'm just yeeting them all into the book cat mythology yeah uh-huh. cat lore yeah I love it um for Fi too I love that you said Sailor Mars for her because one of my favorite lines in the book which I'm noticing a lot of people's favorite lines in the book um was that uh it wasn't that she wanted the to burn the world down she just wanted the world to know that she could and yes. I feel like that's something Sailor Mars would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, Sailor Mars for Sailor Uranus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I think the um, the sort of underpinning of that is that it came from the... So this was... Um, you know, Phi was definitely a product of 2014 in a lot of ways. Mm. And I remember um, there was a very specific kind of... like I, I had that very feeling uh, or very similar cousin of it. Um when Brock Turner's uh, sentence was announced. Yeah. Because it was just like, as long as there is no real substantial punishment for something as horrific and well-documented, like there, this, mm-hmm. this case should have been a slow pitch across the home plate, you know, right, right in the box. And yet this was just, you know, it was just everything the the, 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 the entire fucking law, like the entire fucking legal process was just kind of hand waved because this guy might have a quote unquote bright future as a swimmer, I think it was. Yeah. And it was like, this is what we're, we're just going to hand wave the law. Like, why, you know, it would this be even a question if women were actually valued the way, or women and women's lives and women's futures were valued the way that you value this rapists? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, sorry, trigger warning. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, and so that that particular line came out. God, we're getting grim dark again. Yeah, <laughs> but that line <laughs> came out of that kind of sense again. of frustration of mm-hmm. you know this if if the world saw me as destructive or as capable of destruction as the royalty, then would they value my life too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's around <laughs> the same time as the the Ferguson uprising. Too. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so I can see that tying in a lot with a lot yeah. of what happened in 2014. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I realized, or, you know, I was, I was definitely thinking about this story of, or like, when I first was sort of developing the idea, I was like, oh, it's going to be kind of, you know, a Prince and the Pauper kind of romp across the countryside. <laughs> and then <laughs> in November was when um, Darren Wilson, mm-hmm. yeah, um, he, when he was, he wasn't charged. And right. I remember seeing that and just feeling like you know this this weight fall in my gut and i was like if i'm going to tell a story about the least privileged people in the country i need to be approaching it from a much different angle you know i need Mm -hmm. to be thinking a lot more about what i'm saying with that um so yeah that was that was definitely a big part of it is i i i wanted to be realistic about what that looks like rather Mm -hmm. than sort of you know i think there's a kind of middle class and upper middle class idea of what poverty looks like and, <laughs> and persecution looks like. Apparently it's being told to wear a mask in a white, you know, in a Fred Myers, but yep. uh, it's, uh, you know, I wanted to, to actually dig into the reality of that. And mm-hmm. 
sometimes it sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't. I've definitely seen reviewers where it just kind of went over their head, and they're like, "Why is Fi so angry?" And I'm like, <laughs> "She was born in a country that's literally been trying to kill her her entire life." Right? <laughs> Would you just be chill with that? Would you be cool with that? <laughs> Not exactly a great way to start. Right. Your life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no fun, not fun times there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so we're getting back again to yeah. something lighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw that you uh, tweeted earlier that you would love Zendaya and to write something for Zendaya and Charlize oh Theron. Yes. Um, <laughs> could you see Zendaya as Fi and Charlize Theron as Queen <laughs> Rusana? I could see it for sure. Yeah. Um, I I actually <laughs> that is my so my standard line when anyone asks. Uh, who I would see, who I would cast for all the, for, you know, who's my fan cast for Merciful Crow. Mm-hmm. My, my answer is just Zendaya for everyone. Uh, <laughs> everyone, I would including Barf. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, she faces Barf. <laughs> right? God, that would be Doesn't fantastic. Be Either yeah. that or we go like Cats 2019. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> but I, 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 I couldn't do that to Zendaya. Um, <laughs> I would still but, watch it. <laughs> right. Um, it's it's an exceptional film if you are exceptionally drunk. That's mm. that is the only way to put it. Or the or the only the only way to experience it. Good to know, because uh, I heard it's not great high. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> that would be the worst. That would be so terrifying. Just absolutely nightmarish. Yeah. Like yeah. oh no, you gotta be drunk for it for sure. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, Zendaya would be an incredible fi. Um, and, and, I mean, she, she'd just be incredible about whatever she chooses to do. Oh, yeah. But uh, I think she would be absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, she actually would be a great Queen Usana, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little young, but still, awesome. I'd watch it. <laughs> <laughs> right? I would absolutely watch that. Yeah. <laughs> I would be like, I, I would probably actually wind up rooting for her, unfortunately, at that point. Mm. Be like, I, you know, I, she, she's a horrible <laughs> person, but... Damn, Zendaya's doing such a good job. Right. <laughs> have you watched um, any of um, Euphoria by any chance? I have not. But oh. So I mm-hmm. just finally uh, definitely did not get my friend's uh, HBO's login. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> FBI uh, is listening. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sorry, FBI agent. Yeah. Look, he just kind of gave me a pass on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, but yeah, I, um, I, I have so much TV... And mm-hmm. so many movies to catch up on um, right now because I basically was drafting my third book all through January through March, mm-hmm. December through March. And then um, I got my edits for the for that book uh, in the middle of June. And mm-hmm. then in the middle of that, so the period of like April, or, you know, March, April, May, uh, the world was just kind of falling apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so there, there wasn't like a, or, and I was also trying to sort of adjust my plans accordingly and figure out what I was going to do with that. So I just haven't had a lot of time to actually sit down and watch stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I've, I've seen a couple things like uh, I watched the great on Hulu and that was phenomenal. Um, but it, Euphoria has been up there. I also, it, it looks like it's a little heavy, but it, it looks really good too. So I, yeah. I just need to. <laughs> It is. It's slightly heavy. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely has its moments, um, but so good. It's so good. Yeah, it looks so good. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, definitely check it out whenever you get a chance. Um, <laughs> and but I did see you um, watch Shira. 
Mm, oh my god. Which I, I love it so much. <laughs> Me too. Right? We just finished it recent well not recently, but probably like last month. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, just like amazing. Oh. It's so good. And I think, you know, one of the things that really struck me about Shira is that it captures a lot of the things that I really loved about um, about Sailor Moon, where you have this rich mm-hmm. cast of a bunch of different people who represent, you know, so many different facets of, you know, of of different, you know, gender representations. And, you know, it's, it's bright, it's unashamedly com- colorful, but it also engages with some kind of heavy stuff. And at the same time, it feels like a Sailor Moon for this day and age because the stuff that it's engaging with is like colonialism and abusive relationships and like, or, you know, and toxic relationships and mm-hmm. <laughs> all the, you know, and, yeah. and, and just, uh, you know, loss and, and, and um, challenging, you know, the beliefs that you have. And it, it, it's very much a kind, you know, it's, it's still, you know, there, there's still, or it, it's a show where there's a, a flying rainbow named Pegasus uh, who <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just in, inserts himself whenever he can. But, uh, you know, it's also a story about, you know, struggling with, with insecurity and, uh, you know, like just Catra's whole arc is just, you know, if that doesn't leave you crying on the floor, I, I, I don't know if you, if you are a human or a robot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Catra's, Definitely, like, had such a great um, storyline. Mm-hmm. At first, it's just like, oh, you're the worst. And you're <laughs> like, oh, I just want to protect you from everything. <laughs> right? You know, I think yeah. it does. I think they did what, um, you know, I I think if we've learned anything from Star Wars, it's that a, <laughs> a redemption arc is very difficult to pull off. But when it is done well, it's so rewarding. And it's, mm-hmm. when it's done well, it's because you get a full understanding of the, or you get a full understanding that this person, the person that they are at the end of the redemption arc is who they've always been or who they've worked to become. But Mm -hmm. the circumstances surrounding their lives are what prevented them from understanding that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think we see it with um, Zuko yep. and Avatar is another great example. <laughs> Just yeah. so good. You know, I, I mm-hmm. they, they managed, I think the, you know, the runners of She-Ra managed what, what, what Avatar also managed and what, mm-hmm. uh, what, what Star Wars attempted and uh, did not, did not quite <laughs> yeah. stick the landing on probably because they waited until they were at the, at the horse right. to take off. That's a weird metaphor, but you're right. Yeah, no, yeah, it was very abrupt, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm redeemed, right? And we're good. Like, yeah. it's just like you know, clap on, clap off for the Sith. I guess. Right. <laughs> you know? I am not evil anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, I no longer want to do these. Things. Just gotta force Skype my dad and my mom, and then we're yeah. good. All I needed was a call. They just yeah. never picked up. I guess this whole time, the whole time. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, so grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. For sure. Um and then you have Faithless Hawk mm-hmm. coming July twenty eighth. I wish. Um it is now August eighteenth, the the road oh, got us. But um Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it gives us it gives it gives mm. us a little more time to do a little more, you know, marketing and stuff, but it also for it yeah. gives me a little more time to nap and I'm pro napping, <laughs> so Yes, napping is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so August 18th, mm-hmm. sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, 
Yep. What can readers expect? What do you hope they get from it? Oh, man. Okay, so if you haven't read The Merciful Crow, you can expect to be very confused. <laughs> Fair. If, if you have read The Merciful Crow, um, <laughs> you can expect for the um, the title to be uh, a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you can definitely expect more cats. You can expect um, more Fi. Uh, I think the story is about... Uh, you know, it's something that I, I also personally kind of went through in that, or not to, to go on too long, um, in that you get this, what feels like not, not quite a windfall because you've earned it, but you get, you know, when I got my book deal, I was like, oh my God, I have, I have a bunch of money. What do I do with it now? Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> turns out pay taxes, <laughs> pay for your health. It's always the answer somehow. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, Fi is now struggling with the fact that she has this huge you know she has she has these phoenix teeth that are insanely powerful and actually give her some kind of social equity and Mm. she's struggling with what it means to control that and um that's part of the struggle uh they can (laughs) readers can expect uh a little too apropos uh a little too forced too um accurate um, call out post of the current administration in the dealings <laughs> with the plague um <laughs> you can definitely <laughs> expect some more romance um and not just with fi uh and uh, oh, okay. we introduce actually one of my favorite characters who is a i love complex characters but um mm-hmm. he's a good sort of counterpoint to both fi and jasimer in that he has a uh, healthy amounts of respect but absolutely no seriousness for both of them (laughs) so he's unafraid to call out their bullshit which is very fun oh yeah yeah (laughs) everyone needs at least one person like that Mm -hmm. yeah um and then so just like i'm sure you remember from watching sailor moon on tsunami like Mm -hmm. at the end of every episode there was a sailor moon says (laughs) um so what would your phrase be like sailor margaret says (laughs) sailor margaret says wear a mask please for the love of god (laughs) (laughs) just zero hesitation um but uh yeah uh sailor margaret also says uh this is a very difficult time for a lot of folks um Mm. both with covid and the rise of you know the, the the rise of the challenging of different justice systems and the horrible relationships that they have had with the black community so <laughs> sailor Margaret also says black lives matter that should yeah. not be a question in the first place just like wearing a mask um so this is sailor Margaret says take care of each other and uh respect that that means that sometimes you have to be uh you have to do something like putting on a mask or going to a march to to do that mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Perfect endings to an episode. <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, what's next for you and where can people find you? Um, so my desolated <laughs> wasteland of a website is margaret-owen.com, <laughs> which it desperately needs an update. Maybe that'll be what I do next. Um, my mm. third book is a work in progress. Uh, it will be, I don't know when, it, I don't know when it will be coming out, but I know that we're on schedule so um hopefully sometime next year um it is not a part of the merciful crow universe but it is something completely new and i'm having a lot of fun with that um but uh that will be forthcoming and uh you can also find me on 
Twitter and Instagram, both at what underscore eats underscore owls, which is an eternal an question, and the answer is bigger owls. <laughs> and Fair. I think that's <laughs> it. If you find me on Facebook, then you know too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Sometimes I ask the question, which I took from another podcast called Scam Goddess, which is, um, where do you want to be found? Ooh, I like that. Also, yeah. Scam Goddess, what is this? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite podcasts ever. She, It's a um, podcast. Um, she basically goes over, like, different scams that have happened over, like, you know... This is you know, very yeah, forever, relevant to You my know, interests. recent scams and, like, older scams. Yeah. And just like basically like tells a story, but she's a comedian, so it's just like and she usually brings other comedians on the show. Oh so it's kind of like a drunk history, yeah. but like just on scams, and they're not drunk, but they're also really funny. So my third book is basically about a scam artist. Oh so my gosh, this is perfect. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. listen to everything that entire backlog. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, it's research, right? You can call it exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really great and it's really funny and it's it's one of my favorite podcasts. So yeah, it sounds incredible. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, so I definitely am excited for the third book because I love scams, obviously, from me <laughs> loving this podcast. Like anything with like detective scams. I have good news. <laughs> like espionage. I'm like I want it all. <laughs> it has basically all three of those. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the fairy tale The Goose Girl. No. So, in a nut, like, not to go on too long, uh, it's basically, it's it's a typical, you know, one of the Grimm's fairy tales, uh, this girl gets engaged mm-hmm. to a prince in a different kingdom, or a princess gets get engaged to a prince in a different kingdom, she and her maid travel over there, um, but in the middle of the journey, the maid basically steals her identity and is like, you have to promise to, you know, basically does, I'm the captain now, um. Mm. and uh now you're the maid and uh makes the or once she arrives she basically the maid impersonates uh the princess and is going to be like i'm going to steal your husband to be and i'm going to be the princess and the real princess has to work as the goose girl in the castle and um eventually you know it all gets sorted out and uh the the maid dies a horrible death and uh the and, and the the princess the real princess uh, marries the prince and everything's fixed hypothetically yeah <laughs> as fairy tales go right and <laughs> yeah. i am writing a retelling of that from the perspective of the maid oh uh-huh. um it's instead of well you know it's it i wanted to ask the question why so when you read the the story the fairy tale uh the first thing that the princess ever says to the maid in the book or in the story is go get me water like mm. and it's, you know mm. and the maid's like you can get it yourself and <laughs> this is framed as a very terrible interaction but it's like right but she can though she can get that water yeah. herself it's fine yeah and i wanted to look at what would drive this maid to do to steal you know why she would mm-hmm. do something like steal the princess's spot um, and the story is basically about this maid who has is currently has stolen the identity of the princess and has used her access to these high level social parties to uh, pull a string of jewel heists. And oh. <laughs> then uh, when the story opens, uh, or shortly after the story, the story opens, she has discovered that a a highly trained detective has been placed on her trail, and b she 
then almost immediately after gets cursed by a local god to slowly turn into jewels herself unless she makes up for what she took. And Hmm. the story kind of unravels from there. She tries to figure out, A, how to make these things, or how to make up for what she took, while B, evading the highly trained detective on her trail. Oh, yeah. Consider me, this my (laughs) (laughs) pre-order. This sentence. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited for that. It's been a lot of fun. It it was very much um, a... It's it's a very big departure from the Merciful Crow, but it's also mm-hmm. you know it, it engages with some some more serious issues too you know like about stuff like class and why a maid would want to do that and what she's trying to get away from in the first place. Yeah, I love retellings from like the quote unquote villain side, right? Um, because you do get to see like you know reasons and context exactly and like this this idea of who we are framing as the villain like, right that's a, always a loaded concept yeah it's like are they the villain or have they been like persecuted for their whole lives and decided to do something about it? right exactly yeah <laughs> killmonger <laughs> i mean sorry i just had a thing in my throat yeah <laughs> yeah well that sounds great i'm so thank you for sharing that because i wasn't sure how much you could talk about it so i'm really glad you were able to <laughs> i think i just put enough on on twitter that my editors just, keep like i haven't like put like a a, a title out or, or name mm-hmm. or anything so i think we're good I, I i can just at least talk about that much <laughs> okay yeah 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 so i did have to go read the goose girl um <laughs> i love grim's fairy tales so yeah i'll check that out for sure and um and yeah i'll just uh close out i'm victoria once again um, you can find me at Miss Old School. It's Old School with a K. And you can find the podcast at Moonies Club on Twitter and Moonies underscore club on Instagram. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> it was my pleasure. <laughs>